Real. Number one, I'm out here looking like one on one. Everyone else is a runner up, and I still feel like I ain't done enough. Talk to myself like it's your time. Walk in the building, it's your time. Gotta give thanks to the most high. I am the one that she's cosign. Thanks for tuning in to the Cosign Conversations podcast. I have an extremely special guest today. She goes by the name of Adair Byerly. She's an educator, speaker, model, and she's been doing a lot of studying to the brain. So without further ado, how are you doing today, Adair? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Nah, thanks for joining. Thanks for joining. So uh, for people that follow Cosign, um, we originally found you. You were a model for, I want to say, about 14 years. Is that correct? It has been, yeah, about 14 years under my belt, um, professionally, or I say legitimately for the past 10 years. Gotcha. <laughs> so I want to. I want to give you a chance to kind of share your background, kind of start with your modern modeling career and mm-hmm. then kind of talk to us about what led you to create Entertainment Mindframe LLC, because I know they kind of go hand in hand. So I want to kind of yeah. start off with the modeling first so people kind of have a backstory about you. OK, I got it. So about 14 years ago, 14, 15 years ago now, actually, um, I tried to wiggle my way into the modeling industry and it didn't really work out for me for the first four years. Um, I finally had gotten signed. Uh, when I was 19 years old. And that was a pretty big deal because I was, I did not reach the height requirement at the time. They would not sign me because I was under 5'9". Sometimes they make an exception if you're 5'8". But I was also under 5'8". So (laughs) I was 5'7". And they told me no. Um, But whenever my pictures came back, they were like, wow, you can photograph. So they made an exception for me, and I was the first African-American model to be signed under 5'8 and um, over in the fashion division. So that was kind of a cool, um, you know, break-in that I had. But however, I still struggled through it because I didn't really fit into the norm at the time. Back then, over 10 years ago, it was not popular to be biracial to have curly hair, to have curves to you. Gotcha. Um, it was more the all-American girl next door look, which was, you know, the blonde hair and blue eyes woman. Um, so even then, now today, it's completely different. I mean, it is completely right. transitioned. <laughs> it's amazing to see like, oh my gosh, we are, you know, celebrating people that got booties and people that have curly hair and are all different types of races. So it's really amazing to see the change from then to now. Um, But while I was in the industry, I had so many experiences and I kind of started creating this love and hate relationship with the industry because I was meeting so many different people and I would get these highs, right? Because it was cool. Like you get to meet, celebrities and you get to work with celebrities or big brands and I was like man this is awesome but on the other end you know there's just this whole um I would say like political how how can I explain this it was a tension there was a lot of tension in the industry and I realized it wasn't just me dealing with it everybody deals with it right (laughs) and I was like oh so this is common this is just the way it is And that love-hate relationship started and, you know, I would come 
and do my thing. And then I would just like disappear for weeks at a time, sometimes months, because I couldn't deal with it. I had to get away from it. And I had to like reset myself all the time because this industry is just fast. And it's not just fashion I'm talking about here. I'm talking about entertainment, um, media, like even with what you do when you are, you know, and you work with a magazine too. So it's like, you're always, it's, it's just another level of time and speed and, you know, work always going, always going. You really don't have time for yourself and you're really focused on this image that you're creating. So um, you know, I noticed that, and then I had started to observe these psychological patterns that were being projected into the environment when I would work on set, not just from me, but from other people. And that kind of led me, that was about four or five years ago, that led me into, you know, saying, oh, this is cool. Like, I'm kind of seeing a pattern, and I want to know why that is. So I just took it upon myself to start reading and studying the brain and being a nerd that I am, which I always was. People, <laughs> people never knew that about me because I hit it. Um, now, <laughs> now everyone's finding out, but <laughs> right. um, so I took it upon myself to do that. And uh, about, you know, four years later, I created entertainment mind frame and it was, um, it was a process to get from there to here now, because I knew that, you know, not only was it, new here locally but it was new across the entire show business in general um and i found that out when my lawyer and i were doing the intellectual property and you know setting everything up in the beginning and i just got overwhelmed and i was like oh my god how am i going to you know bring brain science into a world that is so visually appealing because the brain is really not sexy you know, it's like sexy to talk about because it's popular right now, but it's not really visually attractive. You know what I mean? So I'm like, how do I, yeah, how do I talk about science? <laughs> so, you know, that was that was my uh, hold back for a long time. But now, you know, here I am and I, I created it to bring cognitive enhancement and internal communication strategies for professionals in entertainment, media and fashion. And I do that by applying brain and behavioral sciences into the business of fame. That's amazing. Um, you touched on psychological patterns. I wanted to kind of talk about that. So what were you kind of seeing when you were on set that um, that you kind of kept seeing over and, and over again? And was it like through the people on the other end, like the photographers and the people booking or like what was it on both ends? It's literally everybody, everybody in some capacity. And it's not a bad thing. Um, it's a normal thing, which is something that I kind of got to the bottom of, but probably the most common things that I saw, and it's a list, but I can just give you a general (laughs) idea was there's a lot of desperation, there's fear, uh, distrust, passive aggressiveness, spitefulness, lack of professional courtesy, um, you know, negative egos, because you can have ego and it'd be a good thing, but there's also a negative side of an ego, entitlement. Um, and then also mental health. That was something that I was, and, and I mean like the, when I say mental health, I mean people that were struggling with a depression or anxiety. I realized and noticed over time, that seemed to be a very common you know, conversation back 
you know, behind the scenes when you're getting ready, like almost so much that you could joke about it and everybody knew what you were talking about, sure. <laughs> you know, and it's weird that that's considered a normality, but in reality, it's not. And it's very, very common I've seen to have uh, creatives that deal with that. And it's not that, you know, creatives are different from, you know, anybody else. I mean, there are some differences, but it's, it's very common in a world of creatives to have someone who's dealing with, you know, either depression or anxiety or any other type of, you know, discomfort or challenge that might be going on internally. Not for sure. I, I, I definitely know where you're coming from. I deal with anxiety myself and, um, you know, with it being like, with it being mental health awareness month, mm-hmm. like what are, what do you, why do you think it's, it's, it's so normal with like creatives, entrepreneurs and artists, like what is it about them that there, that happens to them that it just becomes a norm? Do you think it's just like the work-life balance or what, what does it derive from? It's multiple things, but it honestly, all right. So I'll start from, I usually do this backwards, but I'm going to start from the outside and then I'll go inward. But I think a lot of it has to do with, um, it does have to do with work-life balance there. That is a contributor. It also has to do with um, creatives having, so, so a lot of creatives, there's this old, old idea, right? That in order for you to be a really great creative, you have to have some tragic story. And a lot of creatives like pull from that. So they need that, which also translates to them that they can't get rid of that story because if they get rid of that story, then how is my inspiration going to come to me? You know, so you have people, a lot of creatives that are holding on to this trauma that happened to them or this story that is so heavy, that so heavily defined them and they pull from that. Now they can create beautiful things, whether it's art, music, uh, dancing, uh, writing, anything, photography, videography, anything, movies, you name it, acting, modeling. I can go down the list. Um, (laughs) But that is a negative motivation. And what you're doing is you are pulling from pain to produce beauty. And now there's a power in that because it's a beautiful thing, but it is not psychologically healthy for you because you, right? Because then you start to look for bad and turn it good. Now, I love that about creatives, but you also have to deal with, you know, your stuff. And one thing that (laughs) I realize is just because you heal does not mean you won't be a creative anymore because you're, you're creative because you're creative. Like there's nothing that's going to change that. Now it actually, you may be better when you heal, you know, or, or actually address the things that are going on, not even heal, because I don't want to say healing as a, as in something is broken. Um, but understanding yourself really, and what's going on inside of you, because if you don't, what's happening is you're building this neurological uh, system in your brain to pull from negativity. Um, And what happens is when you pull from negativity is you project that into your work life. You project that into your business. You project that into your emails, into your conversations, um, to where people don't like you, or maybe you don't like other people, or maybe there's some drama that starts going on. You know, it's kind of crazy how 
the human species works just in general. We're really wacky in general. We're, we're weird people. <laughs> we're just weird. And <laughs> our brains are so, they're so complicated in a beautiful way, but we have so much power over it. So I think, you know, from the outside, it seems normal, you know, the expectations of a creative, the work life of a creative, the like, oh, it's okay to be sad and depressed because you're creative. No, it's right. not. It's not okay. You should not <laughs> feel that way. Um, right. You know, but for some reason, it is oddly admired. You know, it's for, for some reason. Like, you remember that, um, what, what was that club called? 26, Club 26 or something? Do you know what I'm talking about? Where all the celebrities committed suicide or died by the age of 26, like the, the greats. Oh. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. People admire that. And I'm like, that's not good. I understand, but that's not good. Like, oh, they're so great. They can't even be on this planet. Too great for this planet. I'm like, no, there's there's something going on there. And it usually all happens and it starts from the brain. And so that's, it, it, it works from the inside out. Does that make sense? No, it does make sense. And I actually look at like, so... If you look at music artists, right, they always say artists make their best music when they're going through something. Yeah. Like, is that even unhealthy to, like, no, to no, put no. that pressure on artists? No, no, no. It's not, it's not unhealthy to express. It's not unhealthy okay. to express. It's unhealthy when you, you use negativity only for your creativity. Like, that is not... It, it's a, it's not a, it's difficult because it's, it's not a bad thing, but it can become psychologically damaging for you as a right. creative. And you don't know it because it's happening on a cellular level, like in your brain, it's, it's way in the back, like in your subconscious, you don't even know what's going on. So you're building this neural network. Like I was saying before, you're building this network that is telling yourself before you even make a cognitive decision, before you even make an analytical decision, you know, what you should feel like, what's going to happen, um, you know, who you are. So that, I think that's why it's unhealthy. It's that belief system that you're feeding that can become unhealthy for you. Got you. And from like your research and experience, like what's the what's the damage that can be done? Like for somebody who deals with depression and anxiety and mental health problems, but they don't actually seek help. They just deal with it on their own. Oh man. Um, so many things and just, it makes me sad thinking about it, but I mean, the worst possible thing is suicide right. or overdose. Um, any kind of coping mechanism that you use it could be alcohol. It could be, it could be a negative thing like alcohol or drugs or um, sex or pornography or, um, you know, unhealthy relationships. Or it could be what you deem as a positive thing, which is your career, like your image. A lot of people don't mm -hmm. deal with their, their, um, their internal battles and they live so heavily on that in, uh, external image that they're creating for society not for themselves for society for their fans for their clients whatever it is um and you will lose yourself in that completely lose yourself in that 
almost to the point of lying to yourself. And that's dangerous. It's dangerous for you to further disassociate yourself with who you really are and what you're going through. There's nothing wrong with being famous. There's nothing wrong with having fans. There's nothing wrong with being creative. There's nothing wrong with any of that. But the reason why so many people in that world struggle is because they do create that image. They do disassociate themselves from grounding, from understanding who they are internally, and they live only in that external image because they have to, it feels better. It's easier to do, right? I don't want to go back. I don't want to feel what I'm feeling. I don't want to be reminded where I came from. I don't want to relive anything that I experienced, whether it was a bad breakup, painful childhood. I mean, you name it. It could be anything. It can literally be anything. And it could be, it doesn't even have to stem from behavior. Sometimes there are actually things that go on from birth that happens. And the biggest misconception, um, actually, before I go there, I also want to answer to you, um, those famous, actually, they're infamous, (laughs) those infamous (laughs) candles that have come out over the past four years about, you know, celebrities who were involved in misconduct or, you know, rape or that's, and that is, that's an example of what happens when you don't deal with your stuff and gotcha. the industry pushes you. It just pushes you, pushes you to go, 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 go. You don't have time to sit down and figure yourself out. You got to go. Right. You got to sell these. You got to sell this. You got to sell yourself. You got to, you know, <laughs> right. you got to be on top of it. You got to be there. And um, well, all that, it's, just, it's changing. The industry is drastically changing. Um, never in, oh God, years, years and years and years, stuff like this has been going on. Those scandals, things, all those, all that crap that came out that was going on behind the scenes that oh, people yeah. was like, ew, that's disgusting. I'm like, oh, well, hello, that's been going on. But Forever. you don't know it unless you've been in the industry and you become so used to it that you just don't say anything. Well, now the culture is shifting. Now things are changing and people are speaking up and they're saying stuff and mental health is becoming, you know, uh, the forefront as it should, because, you know, mental health is more than just depression and anxiety. Mental health isn't even about any negativity. It's about like fitness. It's about keeping up with your brain, making sure it's not deteriorating, making sure you're your best self all the time that you understand what the hell is going on with you. You know, um, it's, it's a lot deeper than just, Oh, I'm sad. So I'm going to talk about it, you know? And so where I was going a minute ago is the biggest misconception that society has created of mental health or depression or anxiety is that it's an external reason. Like it's an emotional response to what's going on in your life when that's not really the case. It's sometimes it's happening, like I said, on a neurological level. And which means you don't have a conscious decision over that. So when you're dealing with anxiety, as you said, you, you do, um, you know, it's happening in your nervous system and it's shooting through your entire body. It's sending signals through your entire body before you can even think 
about what's going on. And that's, you know, and then you feel this panic and you're like, oh shit, right? right? It's not really something yeah. that you can snap out of. And I think that's no. the greatest, because I dealt with depression and I, for the longest, I was denying it because I couldn't justify it. And I knew, I know a bunch, I know so many people like that where they're like, well, nothing's wrong with me. Nothing's wrong in my life. Therefore, there's no reason I should be upset or, or sad or feel down or, or be, you know, hard on myself. No, that's not true. Right. That's not true. That's not how the brain works. Brain doesn't care. The brain does not care. <laughs> so <laughs> when I did my research and stuff, I was like, oh my God, it's like a light bulb went off. And I was like, wow, this is a really ignored space in across these industries, you know? No, for sure. uh, definitely is. And I think um, a lot of times the problem is that people don't want to take a uh, a break to figure out what's going on or what's, or what's wrong with them because, you know, in, in our industries, entertainment, media, fashion, et cetera, like we have to keep going. And it's like, if you take a break, I think people feel like they'll get left behind yeah. and, you know, they have to catch back up. So, you know, even in, you know, in, in my situation, like I don't ever feel like I can't take a break from Cosign because if I do like all the work that, you know, we've put in as a unit will kind of, you know, backtrack and we have to kind of like start all over and, mm-hmm. and nobody really wants to do that so it's like when I talk to you know my friends who kind of deal with the same thing they just kind of try to push through it and I'm not even sure if that's the best thing for all of us to do is just what we know yeah you know? <laughs> yeah <laughs> so, it's so that, that's okay. something um also you know that I've been um that I've been understanding because I have so I work with um neuroscientists and psychologists and the amazing thing about neuroscience is it has, it's a newer study of the brain and it actually has shown how fast the brain can change. So for a very, very long time, our, you know, I think our belief system of, you know, addressing these things means this is going to be heavy and it's going to take a long time. And that's not entirely true. Everything that I studied and I got licensed in, which was NLP, that stands for neuro-linguistic programming. That's a psychological approach to quickly find solutions in communicating and perceiving the world around you. And it has been used for, to help people who have anxiety or depression. And sometimes that's all it takes for them. Um, Yeah. And neuroplasticity is something else that, I study, that's the ability for your neurons and your brain to change in general. And there's, what's amazing about that, because that was also, that's also a considered a newer discovery is for a long time, people have said that your brain, you are, your brain is done developing by the time you're five or eight years old. I can't remember the number that, you know, they say, but yeah, they say it's very early, but that's not entirely true. You can change your brain at any moment in your life. It gets harder the older you get because your brain will start deteriorating probably in your late 20s. Um, And that also depends on your diet, your lifestyle, what you do, um, the habits that you have. But neuroplasticity is, it's incredible. That is actually how people have become able to walk again when they were told they never could. 
that they would never be able to. It's a lot more of believing, but that's where that idea comes from that if you believe it, it will happen. That is partially true. Oh, okay. Yeah, because you're a belief is a neural network and it's a system. It's such a cute, it's so cute to me. And I probably sound like a nerd when I'm talking about this, <laughs> but they look like little trees in your head and it starts from just one little stem and then it branches out. Um, and, and that is what sends the signals through your body. And there have been people that, like I said, walked again when they were told they could never walk because they worked on building that neuroplasticity. Um, and that doesn't have to happen from a young age. You can do that at any moment in your life. And I think that's what's so powerful about the brain. Um, also, another right. thing that I study is cognitive behavioral therapy. That's also short term. And that's a psychotherapeutic technique that changes toxic thinking patterns. So there's quick approaches to these things. And I think, you know, that mental health, first of all, I honestly, because I know the assumption that, that society has in mental health, I don't even like the word because it doesn't really encompass, you know, the depth of it. You know, it's, gotcha. it's not just about sadness and depression. It's not even about negativity. It's not, it's about growing right. up, you know, with your brain. And we have so much, we got so much stuff happening in our brain. It's like crazy that we just walk around and we don't even try to think about it. We don't even try to say it. Oh, you know, <laughs> I could tap into this and like make my life 10 times better if I want to, you know, that's how powerful we are. What movie was that? That kind of like discussed that a little bit. Um, oh, where they took that pill. Is that what you're talking about? Yes. Uh, yes. I don't know, but I know what you're talking about. I don't know the name of it. Oh man, I can't think of it. But yeah, so he took that pill, and then it would like basically he'd be able to tap into more percentage of his brain right. before he got to hundred percent. But then I guess they were saying having that much access to your brain could be um, uh, it could be dangerous. So, I honestly yeah. I don't know about that. I can tell you for a fact um, that thanks to neuroscience, that the idea that we only use 10% of our brain is not true. Um, we use a lot of our brain. Uh, we just don't use it all at one time, right? So we think, okay. we think like there's this whole part of our brain somewhere in there that never lights up. That's not true. All parts of our brain lights up at, at different times. Um, but we absolutely have the ability to understand deeper and unlock like potential that we have and it sounds real hippie and shit but it's not this is actually <laughs> science and it's so cool that they've been able to show this now i wish i would have got deeper into science so a little backstory on me i used to want to be a psychologist um that's kind of how i actually got into journalism because i wanted like, I, I wanted to understand why people do what they do mm -hmm. right um and i wanted to you know like know their stories to kind of figure out you know what made them become the person they are. But then once I realized that's eight years of school, mm -hmm. I quickly back <laughs> I quickly backtracked and I'm like, okay, let me try something else. And um my psychology teacher recommended uh media because I was always reading magazines in class. Mm -hmm. And she was like, you know, that's another way to get to know people deeply. So yeah. That's how I kind of Yeah it. it is. Um you know what's funny is when I started, so a lot of people think either I'm a psychologist or a scientist and I'm neither one. Um, so when I got into the industry, I was 19 and well, I say that when I broke into the industry, I was 19 and when I got signed and I got my first check, 
for my my agent. I was like, I don't need to go to college. <laughs> like that was a nice check. Like, I remember it coming in the mail, and my dad was like, "Oh, I'm in the wrong business." <laughs> I said, "Hey, I know." So right? I was like, I don't need to go to college. I'm gonna go be famous. Um, right. And you know what? For a long time, I used to beat myself up over that because education was so important to my family. Um, and I was just so hard on myself, but then, you know, start starting my business, which that was actually something that held me back. Um, starting my business, I was like, you know what? I would have never, if I didn't leave college, I would have never had the experience and worked with the tier professionals I did in this industry right. if I would have stayed. Um, so I, but I circled back, you know, I circled back to education and, you know, I dove in and I didn't technically get a degree, but I got licensed in the necessary areas. And that's why I have, right. you know, people with PhDs working with me so they can help me on the scholar side and they can make sure that, you know, what I'm doing actually lines up with uh, modern day science. Got you. Now that you're, um, you know, more running your business, are you, do you still do modeling or are you just out of that? No, I do it sometimes. It's just not my main focus. I actually love modeling like I love I love being on set um and I love bringing people's vision to life and um it's funny because I just posted something today actually about that uh because I look so different in all my photos and people are like how how do you look so different and I honestly don't know how but I can only you know talk about my process and, and how it is for me but I change according to the people I'm working with like, and so okay. their, you know, their environment, their character, um, you know, everyone's different and you have to be really sensitive right. to that. And when you can like absorb that, it's your job as a model to communicate that to the rest of the world because you're the one in front of the camera. So I love that process. It's the process that I like. It's not so much taking pictures. It's just the whole like experience. <laughs> Do you do you view modeling any differently now that you know you have more information on the industry? You know, do your research. Absolutely. Right. So how does it how does it differ to you now? Do you just kind of like what do you take from it now? Now, because before I think I was allowing, I was allowing um, so much external things to drive me as a model um, to the point where I almost had an identity crisis because I was like. I don't look like my photos and, you know, how am I going to go from this to this? And I felt like I was stuck. I was stuck as a model. I was like, no one's going to take me for anything else. Um, but when, and, and, I, and also I'm really not, I really don't care about physical appearance. That's another thing. Like, so it's funny that, that I happen to be an industry that pushes that so heavily. Um, and I felt like I was being a hypocrite in some way. And I felt like I've, I've just displayed myself in a way that is not really true to what I believe. Um, so now, you know, I'm you know, doing all my, all my stuff now, but I think now I realize that modeling is not, it's not really about me, you know, as a model, it's about your clients. It's about, you know, the work that you're getting. And how are you going to make that look as best as you can? Like, that's your job. And if you disassociate yourself from that, um, 
then you kind of look at it more as a business instead of a platform for you to be a diva. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> right. So, Love yeah. It. And I've noticed that really across the board. Um, it's actually something that I say a lot is, you know, so many people think of these industries as a platform to showcase their talent. And in the interim, they overlook the fact that these industries are a part of our U.S. economy by billions of dollars. And when you look at it from that perspective, you're like, oh, shit, this is a business, you know? So right. um, that's kind of the, the the difference I took from it. I, I moved away from the artistic side of it and I started looking more um, analytically as, as a business person. That's probably the biggest shift I've had. Not for sure. So speaking of business, kind of tell us specifically because our our audience and community are, are mostly creatives and entrepreneurs yeah. too. And, um, in those fields, industry, like how, how specifically can your, from you and your company kind of, um, you know, help, uh, individuals who are suffering with many different, you know, mental health issues or, or, or anything of that case. So a lot of the things that I work on mainly, I don't really work with individual people. I like to work with teams. And the reason okay. I work with teams is because I'm really good at feeling out um, the environment. I can almost break it down like scientifically in a crazy way um, to where I'm able to show them what they're projecting into their environment. And it's not coaching. It's not therapy, anything like that. What I do right. is I take the techniques that I have stem from psychology and I put that into business because our businesses operate just like our brains do. It's from the inside out. So if your people are your neural network and you're not, you're not communicating well, then what you're producing is not as well as it should be either. So I focus, I focus on that internal communication. Um, And yeah, a lot of that does stem from mental health. Now I don't diagnose anybody. I don't have sessions with people. I don't, but I just, like I said, I give them these techniques and I, we can implement that in the operations and it is night and day difference. It's, it's almost crazy how it works, but I'm, I'm very, I would say I'm gifted to be able to verbalize the intangible in an environment. And, you know, I also add that into my knowledge with the industry, politics and my knowledge with the brain and I'm like, okay, this is probably what's going on, you know? So, and it's really amazing when I break it down at that level, because they're like, oh shit, that makes sense. And then it's fixed. It's something <laughs> so simple, but yeah. it's really amazing, um, you know, how much money you can be missing out on as a business because you're operating not at your highest capacity. Um, and a lot of it, you know, is because you just have a room full of creatives that don't like structure. <laughs> true. Yeah. True. Nah, that is true, and it's it's kind of weird too because now you think everybody, well, not think, but everybody really wants to like kind of do their own thing, be their own boss. So like sometimes it's it could be like a toxic working environment working with a lot of creators because nobody wants to really actually just kind of you know follow. They all everybody wants to lead, but they're pulling yes. in different directions. Yes, creatives you know, are very—they're um, very stubborn. Very stubborn. And I love it, but I actually love it. Like my job is not to break that. I have, so I have somebody that I was working with recently. He was a producer and I was doing 
consulting, communication consulting for his um, documentary that he was producing. And so what's amazing about him <laughs> is he only has alphas that work on his team, only. And that's really common. You'll, you'll get a lot of that in the industry. Yeah. He only has alphas who work on his team, but sometimes it creates the biggest problems. And so, yeah. you know, I've, I've told him, like he thought of it, he started thinking of it as a bad thing. And I was like, no, listen, it's not a bad thing. You just have to find everyone's strength. And as the, at understand, from alpha to alpha, understanding that, understanding those leaders, let them have it. Let them have their strength right, and let, let them, them contribute to your company with their strength. Do not give them, do not give them things that they're not good at. Don't consult them for things that is not their strength because what's going to happen. And I, I'll give you an exact example for him specifically. He was consulting a journalist um, for, to look over, um, you know, a pilot and the journalist uh, would look over it and send back everything that was wrong. Like all this, the whole story, like, oh, this is going this way. This, this isn't going to work. And what happened with that is it slowed the process down. And in production, it's a very, very big deal when you are slowing down the progress. Why? Because networks are wanting this information and it's preventing you from getting a contract with a network because you keep going back and forth with your team. And right. so I, I told him, I said, hey, there's nothing wrong with that. He's a journalist. He's doing his job. It's his job as a journalist to make a story out of everything he sees. So with that being said, don't get frustrated with him. Just understand that that is his superpower and he doesn't need to be reviewing, you know, something before it's complete because he'll make a story out of it, right. you know? So it's really, there's so much positive behind everything and people don't notice that they get frustrated and they end up actually bumping heads with people over the same thing they love them for, you know? So it's like, yeah, yeah so you have like to that. just, it, that's, that's what I do. I, <laughs> I talk, I'm serious, like I shift the perspective and then we're like, okay, this isn't really a problem. We're just not, you know, we're just not looking at it correctly. So after that, you know, I was like, you don't have to get rid of him. You don't have to sever your relationship. He's a great tie to have. You need him in your life. He's enhancing your business greatly. I mean, he's bringing it from this side of the U.S. all the way to New York. So he's definitely an asset, but just don't give him that responsibility. And so many people do that, you know, and creatives believe they can do everything. That's the problem. Creatives think, True. and it's because they're <laughs> multi-talented. Even me, I'm multi-talented. I can do multiple things. But you have to know when you need to outsource. You can't do everything all the time. You need to know your superpower and you need to know your weakness. And you can have alphas on your team as long as everybody understands what their strength and their weakness is and you let them have it, then it usually is a very harmonious work life. That makes cool, sense. huh? Isn't it cool? That <laughs> <laughs> yeah, is. I, I promise you i didn't think about it like that i've dealt with somebody like that and, and got super frustrated too but it's like man you're right but that is that's why i love what they do but i guess i just yeah, didn't want to hear I know. it I, i've dealt with the same thing like <laughs> I, even friends i have even because i have a lot of creative friends yeah and sometimes they speak on things in my life and i'm like i didn't ask you i don't want to know but i but i also know like if i come to them 
you know, knowing what they're good at, if I come to them with something, then they're just, they're going to do their thing, you know, and that's not a bad thing. That's just, that's their superpower. Um, So my next question, I'm not sure like if this is your specialty, but like scientifically, do you, why do you think people aren't disciplined, right? Like, especially with entrepreneurs and creatives, like we know what we have to do, but a lot of times, I feel like people are holding themselves back from completing what they need to mm-hmm. do to get ahead. Like they look for everything. They look to do everything else, but what they actually need to do to become successful or the hire coaches and coaches tell them, like uh, give them a game plan and what to do. And they still deter from the um, game plan. And I see yeah, it so often. I think, honestly, I think that stems from a couple of things, but a lot of that is a belief system. Um, I, I like coaches. I like mentors. I like all of that stuff. But if you're not ready, there's no reason to hire those people. If you're looking for outside motivation, like it's not going to work. And I can, I can say that from firsthand experience before I started my company, I was so doubtful of it because it was so new and I just didn't believe in myself fully. I didn't know that at the time, but looking back, I can see that. Um, so I went and I was like, oh, I'm going to hire this person and they'll tell me what to do. Or I'm going to go talk to my friend over here who's like, you know, winning Grammys and shit. And I'm going to go talk to this person over here. Like, you know, I started utilizing my resources and, but right, like there was nothing they could give me that made me get rid of that belief system. And that's what I was looking for in the long run. And that's, not just a me thing. A lot of people do that. Um, so they're looking for, you know, they're looking for something outside of them to break that belief system and just override it. So a lot of things that we do right. is meaning all the stuff that all the stuff we do, but we don't that. Oh God, I kind of lost what you, what you said that we do all these things, but not what we really need to do. So we may go right. after popularity before we ever go to the courthouse and file our business. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm serious. You're right. And <laughs> yeah. But we do that because we understand, well, we don't know this, but our body understands that motivation is our driver. Inspiration is our driver. And we do things to make ourselves feel better. That is, that actually stems back to our hormones. And the crazy thing about this, and this is what I teach a lot, is our hormones alter our neurons and our neurons change our social behavior. So your hormone, which is one of them, is dopamine. Okay. Dopamine is the addicting component that you find in medications that the doctor gives you. That's why people get stuck on them because they feel good. Dopamine is a natural producing hormone in our body. That is the motivation hormone. That's the inspiration hormone. So if you, and it's a reward hormone, it gives you, it tells you that you're doing the right thing. So that's why people will go after popularity because it feels better. You're getting validation. You're getting the reward. And now you feel like you're succeeding, even though in realistic numbers, you're not. That's, that is why we do that. And it's so weird 
it's it's not weird. It makes sense on a scientific level, but it's weird that we don't ever sit down and realize, hey, I have like 52K followers, but I don't even have 52K in my bank account. You know what I'm saying? And exactly. <laughs> so it's, it's really interesting how uh, we build from the outside in because we want to feel that hit. We want to feel that dopamine. And that's not just, this is not me speculating. This has been proven over different um, science projects and, and theories that have been, that have been proven. Um, there was one, I, I talked about this on a past podcast, but there was one um, discovery that was done. I can't remember the year, but basically what happened is they, do, so in, in science, the world of science, they do all their testing on mice, right? And um, mice have a very right. similar neurological wiring as humans do. They're very smart creatures. And so what they did is they had uh, two mice and they had, or maybe it was more, and they had a lever, right? One was a lever where, you know, food would come out when they hit it. And sometimes, so food would come out all the time and then it would stop. And then they had another level lever where it was unpredictable on when the food would come out. So, and what's crazy about that is the mice were more fixated on the lever that was unpredictable than the one when they knew it would come out because it creates that reward feeling. It's like when you're trying to get something, right? It's just, that's the reason why slot machines work. That's the reason why gambling works because there's that chance that you're going to hit it big. Right. It's the dopamine. It's, it's really crazy. And that's happening all on a, you know, neurological level. That's what's so cool about it. So we do the same thing. As humans, we will actually go oh, yeah. and get fixated on something that we're unsure of because if we hit it, if we get that big break, that's the best feeling ever. Yeah. Right. Right. So so what is where does social media play? Because I feel like social media is another thing, like people, you know, crave the yes. feeling of being accepted yes. and validated and liked on there. You know, they're refreshing, they're refreshing yes. to see how many likes. And when they don't receive that validation, man, they, right. they feel depleted. They feel incomplete. <laughs> and it's it's crazy. I feel like it's doing, you know, more damage on, on us internally than than most it is externally with, you know, helping them. So it's, it's it's just a weird thing, but it's like something that is a normal is norm for now. Like we have to be on social media, but at the same time I feel like it might be destroying a lot of people. I know it destroys relationships, it destroys friendships. No, it does. Sure, and so the reason for that, yeah. that was actually a proven study as well that was done. Um, I, oh, God, I don't want to be wrong about this. I want to say it was 2015, where a scientist had proven the reason why social media is so addicting. And it is because it produces dopamine and oxytocin. In our, in our, right. our, so that is, yeah, I heard about that. and those are both, oxytocin is the love hormone. Um. That's the cuddle hormone. That's the one that you have when you're in a relationship and, you know, everything's great and you're in the puppy love stage. Um, yeah. And then the dopamine was the one we just talked about, the reward hormone. And those are two very powerful driving hormones that we have to have as humans in order to feel good. The crazy thing about that is if those hormones 
are underproduced, that's when you start experiencing depression and anxiety. So it's it's very interesting. Um, and within the industry itself, you go on these roller coasters, right? You like you hit this high because you got that email from somebody or you got someone on your podcast that's like, you know, a big deal. You get this high and then you have a drop and you're just waiting for that high to happen again. You know, and it's the same thing with social media. Social right. media is what's crazy is and my mom actually pointed this out and she's a fucking genius for it but my mom said that social media really isn't anything new it's not new social media is has we've been doing this for a long time we just didn't do it on you know computers and technology we did it in other ways right. and how did we do that we had a photo album of our life and if you go back and you look through those photo True. albums, you don't never see pictures of mom and dad arguing. You don't see pictures of, uh, you know, when your mother gives you away. You don't see pictures of, you know, your of death. You don't see the stuff. You right. only see the good. You only see the success when you go back. Right. And so Let's my parents, when I, my parents are no longer together. They divorced when I was 11 years old. But if I go back on their albums, they look happy as hell. I'm like, you know, and it's so weird to see it. I'm like, that's not true. <laughs> but, right. we, but that is our confirmation. Right. And we've been doing that forever. And now what happened, they created a platform for us to do that faster, for us to do that on a, on a bigger level. And that feels good. It feels good to us when we can show others what we're doing and what our life might look like. And the more likes, the more validation that is. It's it's really scary actually and crazy because again, all that stuff is happening in the back of your brain is such a tiny, tiny level and a micro level. And you're just operating. You're just right. doing you're like a robot. You're just operating in it. So but that's exactly why. And you're right. It's it's the same thing. It's the exact same thing. It stems from the same place. It's crazy, and it's. I mean, a lot of social yeah, media is all of a sudden. It totally too. is. It really is. It's it's crazy because it's funny because yeah. I have never been a fan of social media, and when I started modeling, I, I mean, I started modeling a long time ago, and back then, I didn't need a social media. Like I had built my relationships, right. you know, through through work and referrals, and I and now I get booked directly, so I never cared about building my audience. I never cared about you know, any of that. And now I'm seeing that companies, companies actually look to validate your success on social media. Like they won't even hire you if you don't have a certain yep. amount of following, you know? So now I got, I'm like, well, shit, now I got to play the game. And, and it's fine. <laughs> I mean, you can do that as long as you understand that it's a game. You know, as long as you understand how it works and you don't get emotionally um, bonded to it and it doesn't drive you, then it's okay. But the problem is, is we, we don't do that. We don't even realize it's happening to us. Not for sure. I definitely agree with that. So I, I kind of want to tie it up with, with it being Mental Health Awareness Month is kind of give our audience maybe some type of gems or positivity or something they can kind of be doing to either be informed or, you know, just kind of help them get through 
any situ- situation they may have gone through or may foresee in the future. You know, just any kind oh, of gym from a deer. So many things. Um, I would say because <laughs> the reason for Mental Health Awareness Month is really, you know, to to give people a voice and a platform um, and normalize, you know, mental health. Um, it, I don't care who you are. I don't care if your life is good or bad. I don't care if you're happy or sad. You have to take care of your brain. You have to take care of your mentality. And if you don't like the word mental health, then use mental fitness and look at it that way. Just like you go to the gym and you build your body up, you got to do the same thing with your mind. And if you're feeling something, if you're experiencing something and you don't know why, you need to know that that is that's a symptom of something. All right. That doesn't mean something has to be wrong outside of you. Like I said earlier, you don't have to be going through bad things in order to justify depression or anxiety or, or suicidal thoughts or whatever it is that you're dealing with. You don't have, or even anger, you don't have to have reason. Um, And another thing, I know people really promote you to talk about it, talk about it, talk about it, open up about it. Um, but if you're going to talk about it, try to talk to someone about it who understands mental health in general, not just someone who's gone through it. Because again, you don't want you don't want to say something to someone else, and because they don't understand it, now you're like, okay, well, nothing's wrong with me. Well, maybe that's not true. Maybe maybe something's going on with you, <laughs> and just because someone else doesn't understand it. That doesn't mean that, you know, you don't have to understand yourself. So that's something I tell people a lot. Like your family, your friends, your loved one, your spouse, they don't need to understand what's going on with you for you to understand what's going on with you. So that's your responsibility. Be your own superhero. And there's so much power. There's so much power in understanding what's going on with you. You may not have to go to the level of, you know, psychology. You don't. But just explore your mind, explore yourself and, and and figure out why you do the things that you do. There's so, so much power in that. And there's not there's nothing weak about that. There's you're not alone in that. But just know you don't have to justify why you feel the way you do. If you feel it, then there's something going on. And you need to look into it. Um, so I really, really, really push for people to do that. You know, you don't have to have a story or a traumatic event. <laughs> that happened. You don't. You really don't. That's the, like I said, the brain doesn't care. The brain doesn't care. It's going to work the way that it works. And it's your job. It's your brain. And it is your job to understand that thing. It is the most complicated computer on the planet that we have. And it is in between our ears. And there you have it. Thank you so much for joining us today. Like I really appreciate it. And I think this conversation is definitely needed. Um, I know I have a lot of personal talks with friends and colleagues, and I think they'll really enjoy, you know, hearing this awesome. and your research and your studies. So before we end, please let them know, you know, where they can find more information about you, what you do in your company. Um, that way, you know, right. They can, they can do um, well, more research probably the best place uh, to see how active I am and what I'm doing daily um, would be <laughs> on Instagram or LinkedIn. On LinkedIn, um, you could type in my first or last name, A-D-A-I-R-E-B-Y-E-R-L-Y on Instagram. You could probably type in the same thing and I'll still come up, but my uh, social media handle is Brains Behind Fame. 
And my website is www.entertainmentmindframe.com. Thank you for tuning in to episode three of the Cosign Conversations podcast featuring Adair Barley. This was an amazing episode as we discussed mental health, depression, anxiety, stress, athletes, creatives, entrepreneurs, how the mind thinks, plus more. Please follow Adair Barley on all social media platforms. Follow Cosign Magazine on all social media platforms as well. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast, like, share, comment, and as always, continue to live the Cosign life. Talk to you all later. Thank you.